Welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite, hosted by me, Coach Ben Rosario, featuring the Hoka NAZ Elite athletes, and from time to time, a special guest from the world of running. We talk training and racing, but we also just talk, and we go way deeper than just running. The Midday Treat is your chance to get to know us as people, so follow along and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, check out this episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. Uh, today's guest is Stephanie Bruce. For those of you watching on YouTube, uh, you can see Stephanie. For those of you listening on the various podcast channels, uh, you are going to hear Stephanie in just a minute. Um, perhaps, as you know, if you listened to our last episode, what we're trying to do for uh, the rest of 21 here is get uh, the athletes, the NAZ Elite athletes, onto the show so that we can take deep dives into how they're doing, what they're getting ready for, how training's going, but also just talk about a variety of things outside of running so that you can get to know them a little better. That is the plan uh, for the podcast for the near future. So today we're bringing Steph on because Steph's got a lot going on. She's getting ready uh, for a marathon this fall. She's got a race coming up this very weekend. She's kind of into training now, so we've got a lot to talk about on that end. Um, we asked Steph's followers on social media to throw us some questions, and you guys came through big time. So most of the show actually is going to be Stephanie ask, or answering your questions straight from social media. And then we will get to a topic that Steph and I have discussed uh, recently on, on a run here and there that we thought maybe would be fun for you guys uh, to listen to as well. So uh, without further ado, Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Um, for those, I'm going to get this out of the way. For those maybe seeing me on the video screen asking what this is, I think you can see it from here. But I had a lot of people on social ask me um, during my massage last week, I had what's called cupping done and a lot of times if you have like an area on your body that has a lot of restriction and we kind of found like from running hard at altitude sometimes your shoulders can cave in and your breathing your diaphragm all this gets really tight so we found a really good spot and it's been opened up so that's why i have this funny looking um mark on my shoulder and who is your massage therapist <laughs> i have two i work with um shay tinder and olivia smith there we go yep Shout out to Shay and Olivia. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, so that out of the way, here we go. First, let's just do what we have to do. Give us an update on um, how training's going and, and let the audience know, I, I think most people know, but what marathon are you doing, why you chose that, and then how training's going. Why don't we do it that way? Okay, great. So I'm running uh, the TCS New York City Marathon. Um, not really a hard decision. It's one of my favorite marathons and one that I have um, a dream bucket of goal to win one day. I have run it two times before and then I'm originally from New York so it kind of feels like a hometown marathon to me. Um, and yeah, it just fit in like really well with how we kind of plotted out this year and perhaps the next couple of years, um, just having this marathon and the fact that I get to train alongside Kellen, um, was a great opportunity because we always bring out the best in each other. And then where I'm at, I'm just tired and as you know because you're our coach <laughs> um just in the thick of training right now we're kind of in this like unique phase where you could say it's like full-on marathon training but it's not quite yet because since we started training about 12 weeks out from new york city you can't just go hard marathon training in my opinion for 12 weeks so we kind of break it up into like two training cycles and this first one we're really working on a little more like speed power like getting used to running hard and strong uphills that way when we get to like marathon specific pace um, we have that power in our legs and then that's going to carry us through to the actual marathon pace and marathon training yeah we have done a good bit of hill running here early on in the segment which could 
prove useful this weekend. So what are we doing this weekend? So this weekend I'm racing um, the Cow Harbor 10K in Northport, Long Island. Again, any excuse to get back to New York and where my roots are. And I have run this race three times before. I have yet to win. I've been second, second, fourth. And so obviously the goal is to win. Um, and I'm really just trying to run as fast as I can and try to take a crack at the course record. So, as they all probably know, I was seventh, oh. you know, when I ran it well, back in the there day. there you no, go. Uh, <laughs> Let's see how close to uh, your time I can run. <laughs> yeah, probably faster. Uh, no, the, the Carl Harbor's fun. It's a fun race. And so that will be good, a good test. And as Stephanie said, the, the segment is sort of broken up into two halves. And this falls, Cow Harbor will fall seven weeks out from New York. So then we'll take a few easy days, sort of a recharge week, and then we'll be into that marathon-specific phase of the, the training, which will begin in earnest that following weekend. Yeah. So there you go. Mm -hmm. So that's an update on Steph's training. And, and you're healthy, right? Everything's good? Everything's been great. I mean, knock on wood, um, considering a... A little over was it a year ago? No, less than that. Um, I was dealing with plantar fasciitis, and a lot of people were kind of following that journey. And I wrote a little blog on my website, stephbruce.com, where if you're having plantar issues, you can check that out. Um, I kind of shared my rehab. But also what I tell everyone is I'm really fortunate. I have therapists and people that are watching me run so they can see like, oh, you're overstriding or these are little subtleties leading to it. So I feel for a lot of people who have plantar issues because it can be an ongoing problem. But at the current moment, I don't have any pain um, in my heel. So I'm really fortunate. And yeah, I think I just have the normal like aches and pains that a lot of mileage and uh, training brings. There you go. Yeah. All right, gang. Well, if you gave Steph a question on Twitter, I think that we're going to get to all of them. Some quicker than others. We'll, we'll go rapid fire on a few of them. But I have a list here in front of me of some of the questions that we can dig into. And I've tried to um, group them by category, I suppose. And I think chronologically, this first set is interesting because we're talking about how training's going now. But of course, training is affected not only by things like plantar fasciitis, but of course, as you guys know for, in your own running, uh, by all sorts of things. Sometimes things out of your control, sometimes life things, life stressors that have nothing at all to do with running, but they affect your running. And so, as you know, only because Steph is, is uh, willing to share these things on social media, she uh, was dealing with quite a bit of grief, uh, and still is, um, over the loss of her mother. And um, quite a few of you asked questions about that. And, and I think, um, though it's a difficult subject, uh, Steph is, is kind enough to answer those questions. And so the, the one off the top that I was going to start with was just, uh, and I didn't, pardon me, I didn't write who wrote these questions, but just how do you cope with grief? Yeah, I, I really appreciated people asking this. Um, as some of you may or may not know, my mom passed away about three months ago, and it was like a really long battle with um, breast cancer for her. And I would say like a year ago, I probably, looking back, was dealing with what I call anticipatory grief, meaning I knew that it was coming. I knew she was going to pass away at some point. And so you're almost like waiting to get there. And then truthfully, I thought, not that I'd feel better, but I thought it would be easier because I was having this anticipation. But it's been a lot harder than I thought and imagined. Um, having lost my dad, you know, 20 years ago, I thought, okay, I've, I've dealt with losing a parent before. I can do this again. But this one has been hitting me really hard, and I don't have an answer. <laughs> and it's like one of the first time I don't have... Yeah, like, this is how you do this. That's how I like to do things in life. Oh, you want to get here? Like, go through these steps. Um, and, of course, people, like, share. These are the steps of grief. But as I've been finding on social, like, other people sharing their stories of grief, it's like this awful club that people don't want to be in, but they're just in. And so you have this, like, collect these collective stories of grief. And sometimes hearing others makes me feel better. Like I think, oh, my grief's not that hard. Someone lost a child or whatever. And so then you do this comparison. But every grief story is different. Um, so I would say the best way I think I'm dealing it is I'm just letting it come. You know, like a few weeks ago, I found myself in like a really dark hole for a few days. And I even asked Coach Ben if I could kind of take a week away from practice because I didn't feel like being around people. I didn't know how to like be myself. I didn't know how to ask people how they were doing because I didn't have any capacity to give. Um, 
And you know, my husband Ben has seen a lot of sides of it. A, a few weeks ago, or maybe like a month ago, he was like, I don't know if you're gonna be able to race New York City Marathon because yeah, where I was at was pretty low. Um, we look back at the trials and we thought, would I have done anything different? But I had no idea. I wanted to believe I could train. I was doing all the things. But like you said, grief just hits you differently. And it is it is stressful. <laughs> Whether you acknowledge it or not, it's just an extra stress on the body. And I, I didn't know that that was going on back in June. So hindsight, it's easy to say, maybe I shouldn't have been on the start line of the Olympic track trials. But then you hear stories of people like overcoming and they have these amazing races, but um, that was not on the cards for me at all. But that's kind of my career. I mean, I you can always look back and, and choose things differently or I would have raced it this way or would have you know trained a little less, but I don't know. You Sometimes you can't control all the things that go around your training or around your race. So you, I say, control the controllables. And for me, that just means feeling the days that are pretty low and then being okay if I'm like, I'm actually doing really good for a week. And I imagine it'll go on like that for a while, maybe the rest of my life, but um, I have enough good around to like be able to focus on that. Okay. Yeah. There is a good, uh, or that is a good segue into the next question because someone wrote, I've had friends who found that running helped them process grief. But I imagine for an elite athlete, the grief is mostly just another, parentheses, unwanted stressor in training, which you kind of just touched on. Are you building in more rest, mindfulness, recovery to help cope? Are, are those things part of the process for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they nailed it. Like, running is not really my outlet for grief because <laughs> in a different way, like, running is my job. So it's something like I get up every day and my job is 24-7. So for a while my grief was taken away from my running because I wasn't like oh let me just go out and clear my head I was like losing my breath on runs and feeling like I couldn't breathe and that wasn't good um like I remember this one workout actually right before my mom passed uh, I was in Phoenix and I remember being like, I just want to get up and meet the women, you know, my teammates and do a workout in Camp Verde. So I drove up from Phoenix, did a workout with them and I was so glad to be around them because I could almost like forget everything that was happening. Um, and then got the workout done and then like I'm halfway on the cool down and I just like started kind of hyperventilating and I couldn't really breathe and I had to stop and yeah Alfine and Kellen and Lauren like we all stopped and had this group hug and they all cried with me and so I was like I don't know if I'm dealing with it I don't know if running is good for this but um it's kind of like my motto like if you just keep moving forward like eventually you will get through things so in one aspect I think I've brought in just more acknowledgement how I'm feeling and maybe not the grief but more this training cycle and like where I'm at in my career. I'm just trying to slow things down in ways where I was a lot like lazier, so to speak, or like I did less when I was younger. And so I'm trying to bring that back in and say, just give yourself the best chance to recover, train really hard and yeah, don't have too much on your plate. And yeah, that probably is helping with the grief a little bit, but it's just helping with my overall stress for sure. Okay, last grief question yes. stuff, I promise. Uh, what would your, this is a good question. Yeah. What would your grieving self have told your pre-grieving self about how to get out the door, start prehab, start to walk out the door, you know, start yeah. the strength work, etc. For sure. Um, gosh, I don't know. Sometimes I think like I've always been grieving because I did have my father pass away, you know, when I was 18 and then having my mom sick for so many years, like I mentioned, I think I was going through anticipatory grief. So in a way, I think grief has kind of been in my life for a very long time. Um, but I've just had so many, it sounds so cliche, but I've just had so many good things happen in my life it's very hard for me to find negatives in things. So even though like I have what feels like sad things happen, I'm just always able to look at like the brighter side of it. So I think the grief part of it now is, I guess I don't apologize for like crying or I don't like tell someone, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting upset or yeah, I just like 
live and I express my feelings and I'm going to share them and I don't feel bad about them anymore or I don't feel like I need to act a certain way in a certain setting. I'm just like, yeah, I'm grieving. Like that's what's going on. Um, and so that's something that I probably would tell myself now, like just act how you need. If getting out the door feels like impossible, maybe that means you're on the couch that day. But I guarantee if you let yourself feel those things, maybe three days later, you're like, I'm ready to get back into it. Because that's how like these last couple months have been for me. Okay, I lied. One more little thing. Okay. <laughs> because I, I saw, I know that right after that really dark period that you mentioned a second ago, mm -hmm. that you had to go right into hosting Bruce Camp. Correct. Which is not an easy thing to do. It's an it's an inc incredibly emotional week, regardless of the context, because yeah. you're you're basically in charge of thirty or so people that have come all the way to Flagstaff from all parts of the country in North America yeah. to have this super fun week. Yeah. And so you're expected to you, Steph, or yeah. and Ben are expected to bring all this energy to them. Yeah. And so that that can be somewhat draining. But I also saw you at camp and and felt like camp helped. Yeah. Talk about camp. I mean, it did because well, one, you had people there who knew everything going on, and then I had people coming up and like telling me their grief stories. Yeah. They were like, "Let me tell you about this." Um. And then recently, like, we were just going through our mail and we were getting thank you cards, which I was like, guys, you paid <laughs> to come to our camp. You don't need to write thank you cards. But it just, like, reiterated what an impact something like a running camp can have on a person. Like, someone even said life-changing. And it's hard to, like, believe that or see that from our perspective. But if someone's having that experience, it is so worth the tiny little bit of stress that I might have had, but also like I could just be myself. Like there were times where, yeah, I was crying on a trail run and a lady was like, let's talk about it. So um, I don't know, I think it's like, that's where like social media comes in. The people that are following us and our team and myself and Ben and then coming to the camps, like we're obviously putting out the right message because it's the right people coming and showing up. So it feels less like a task and more like I'm hanging out with my people. Absolutely. And how can people find out about Bruce Camp, um, uh, Bruce Camp 22? Yep. So they can go to stephbruce.com um, and we have a link to Bruce Camp and then also the Women's Grit and Growth Retreats. And there's another one coming up, Grit and Correct. Growth. Correct. Correct. Registration oh and announcement coming soon. See, this is Steph. Two seconds ago, she <laughs> says, I'm taking everything off my taking plate. Everything. I'm going to be gonna take it very easy. And now she's announcing yet but another retreat. But I retreat. planned it for after New York. Oh, okay. After, yes. after New York. That's right. All right. So here's a couple quick ones. How do you deal and get through periods when you are unmotivated? to run okay people don't believe this but I'm never <laughs> not motivated I just I don't know how to explain it like I just have a very intrinsic um, feeling that I've had since I was 18 and I think it has to do with after my father passed away and I had this like aha moment of do I go this way or do I go this way and running was over here and I say this story all the time, but running was just like a gift and it wasn't something I have to do, it was something I get to do. And the more that I kind of took that path um, and just like stayed persistent, it was like, yeah, there were tough periods because I was getting injured or I you know, wasn't healthy. But then when I found answers to that and the more time and effort I put in, the more I got back from running. And then when I got to a point where I was good enough to get paid to do it, like now I get, I get paid to run, to eat, to sleep, to recover, to race as hard as I can, to challenge myself mentally and physically, it's really not that hard to be motivated. <laughs> well, I think me. you answered it for them in your answer, because if you're finding yourself in a period that is a down period or you're not motivated to run, just remind yourself that you get to, yeah. that you get to do this thing that you love. Yeah. And perhaps that's enough. Totally. Perhaps that is enough. Uh, how can injuries take away your self-confidence? I like that question. Um, they take away your self-confidence because as runners, we tend to look back at the last good thing we did, whether that's a workout or a race. So the farther away you get from a successful race or a successful workout, the more you're in a hole of thinking, I'm not that good. Like you forget all the really great things you accomplish and you're like, I'm not that person anymore because you haven't seen like glimpses, glimpses of it recently. And I mean, this happens to me 
12 years into my professional running career, but when I haven't run a marathon in so long, I'm like, oh, am I actually good at the marathon? Am I going to be able to be top three at New York, which is what I want to do? And then I say, yes, Stephanie, because you, you look at all the good things you have done and that running is a cumulative effect. Like, I'm not just good because of these last seven weeks. I'm going to be really good because of these last 18 months and the last two years. Um, so sometimes you need to just, like, search farther back before your injury and realize what kind of runner, like, were you before? And that isn't, hasn't gone away. Just injuries are part of the game, and every runner has setbacks they're dealing with. Some people, health issues, some bones, some energy stuff, whatever it is. Yeah, and just realize we're all kind of fighting that battle. Even the best people in the sport are worrying, oh, am I going to be able to make it to the Olympics? Am I going to medal? Um, so you're not alone in that thinking. All right, now there's a lot of pressure on this one because this person says they will share your answers with the high school team they coach. What advice would you give your younger self regarding your training and nutrition? Okay. So I assume this is your high school self yeah. because they're talking to a high school team. I like have the answer that nobody likes <laughs> because I loved how I did it in high school. I say this because in high school, my coach Dave Van Sickle at Xavier, he just fostered like a really fun atmosphere. I mean, in high school, we were running 30 to 40 miles a week. Uh, we were finding any excuse to stop at a stoplight so we could like break up our run. We're like, oh, it looks like the it's turning yellow. We should stop. Um, yeah, and we just had a really good time. And then we brought our A-game on race day, but maybe we didn't have a ton of training behind us. But it kind of showed me like... I think it showed me how to get the most out of myself, even if I wasn't as prepared as maybe my competitors. And it showed me how to like dig deep mentally. Um, and then, yeah, like nutrition wise, I mean, I wasn't the best at eating in high school. Like I ate fast food five days a week, but I think I was just kind of a casual teenager who didn't care too much about how I was performing, but just wanted to have a good social life and was part of this cross country team and track team, maybe because my coach wanted me to and my mom and dad thought that I had more potential. But I was just having a really good time and not taking myself seriously. So I wouldn't change that for anything because I think that's now what has allowed me to run into my late 30s. Um, because I had a really great balance of working hard, having fun, like healthy body image, not worried about what my competitors look like or what they're doing. I was just focused on what I was doing and I still love the sport so much and that's how I can, I think, keep cranking out 100 mile weeks, you know, 20 plus years past high school. Love it. Love that answer. <laughs> Love it. Um, how? Okay, and it's a good, a good segue. How do you? How, how do you, people can tell you have a lot of energy? Your passion. How do you keep your energy level so high? <laughs> I mean, energy level is such like a. Um, gosh, that's a hard question. Because if you came into my household and you asked about energy level husband Ben Bruce would definitely win the energy award and my two kids Riley and Hudson so I'm actually pretty mellow in my house and my overall personality I think is it's like fast paced but it's not like crazy and I'm not trying to go everywhere and do everything I'm really methodical about like even being busy like I schedule things throughout the day but I always have a nap scheduled I never get less than eight hours of sleep so I have a hard bedtime because I know when my children wake up um so I think I schedule periods of like, yeah, I guess high energy, but also I'm pretty mellow throughout the day. And then the way my training is and how I am for races, like I don't get up for workouts. Like I come to the workout ready to work hard or ready to crush it, but I am not like overly excited or overly bummed if I hit the workout or don't have hit the workout because I've done this for so many years. I know that one workout does not make a runner. Um, so I feel like my energy is pretty like even kill. And then I bring that energy to race day because for me, that's the most, that's more important than a workout. So that and um, I really love coffee. Coffee is the first thing I have to do in the morning before I talk to anyone else. <laughs> um, I used to be a twice a day coffee kind of person like afternoon but that's actually my tip to recovery i have cut out afternoon coffee for the last two weeks and i feel like i'm really liking what what that's doing to me you know what i've been doing in the afternoon a little what bit stephanie yes. uh decaf coffee because i go. love the feeling the, i know the feel, the no coffee. that's what, it's the social part of it too yes. like people are like do you want to meet up and i'm like 
I do want to meet up with you, but I don't want to drink coffee. And if I go on a coffee shop, it's, yeah. So I'm decaf. losing friends over the last decaf. couple of weeks. Try decaf. But I like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Here's the next one. This is a cool one because, so I, I am very proud uh, that we have been able to create this fan base over over many years now. And the fan base really is global. And, and um, of course, Hoka appreciates, appreciates that because they're a global brand. But uh, this next question was written in Spanish. So I'm going to try to read it okay. just for the heck of it. And then I'll translate it. Mm -hmm. Como es la vida de una atleta atleta top para mantenerse entre las mejores? Didn't do it well. No, can we go? I feel like I know who this is. Can I grab my phone and maybe yeah, look sure. up? Yeah, sure. Okay, because sure. I have this one follower who I love <laughs> and always responds. And he always, he always tweets in Spanish? Yes, okay. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Como es la vida de uh -huh. una atleta ta okay. para mantenerse entre las mejores? I feel like I'm back in Spanish class, but I did better totally. that time. Okay. So the translation, folks, for that is, yep. as best I could tell from Google, uh, how is the life of a top athlete to stay among the best? So, you know, how do you stay uh, at the top of your game um, in your Would sport? You say, oh, running with, uh, running with running Libertad. Running with Libertad. At Argentina Cred. That's who wrote this. I I don't know, oh. but this is my assumption. Oh well, that's very possible he because he tweets responds. at you in yeah. Spanish. Well, this and is I'm great. Like, I'm thinking this might be you. And we appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. thanks for being maybe, a fan. Maybe Argentina. <laughs> maybe it's from Argentina. Yeah. Argentina. Yeah. Well, I would yeah. think it is. Great. Yeah. Okay. They awesome. speak they speak Spanish in Argentina. Okay. They do. Um, um, how so? How do I? How do you stay at the top? How do you stay at the top? I mean, you've got you've gone into this in some of your other answers. I mean, I think you guys can tell from listening to stuff that she takes her craft very seriously. So she thinks about not only running, uh, but she thinks about sleep and she thinks about um, scheduling her day and taking her naps and her nutrition and everything that goes into it. She said, remember earlier, it's a 24-7 job. Um, and you also heard her talk about how she actually specifically tries not to get too high and too low emotionally. Uh, surrounding any one workout because she has to stay sort of even keel throughout a, throughout a training segment. So I think you've already answered some of this in, in the course of the podcast thus far. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that stands out to you as more important than, than the other things? I mean, I think over the last few years, one thing, and I don't know if this is like a mindset, I think there's a quote about this, but it's like, um, it says something like, this is kind of harsh, but it's like losers focus on winners, winners focus on themselves. Yeah. It, it sounds like harsh, but I kind of like the story behind that because it's so easy in our sport to look at other people's training. What are they doing? How are they getting Oh my here? gosh, this is, we're going to get to this. Okay, okay. I've got this okay, in a question great. later. Yep. But, but my whole point is like, I signed on to run for Hoka NAZ Elite to be coached by Ben Rosario. It does me no good to look at what other people are doing on Strava or Final Surge or anything and be like, how could my training be like that? Because I'm bought into NAZ Elite, bought into what Ben's doing, and I've just been doing that the last seven years. And the people I feel like that have the most success on our team are the people that buy in from the beginning and realize it's going to take time. But once you get to the top, like you will stay at the top for a long time because you're doing the training and you're just a hundred percent bought in. So that's something I think that probably has allowed me to yeah, stay at that level and realize I can't worry about what other people are doing. I need to worry about what I'm doing. Awesome. We're going to come back to that. Um, here, here's one that's probably a quick one. It's interesting. Uh, I've never seen this question. I have the impression that most professional runners don't care much about sun damage. So what is your opinion on this and how have you coped with the elements during so many years of training? Very interesting question. That is. Um, yeah, it's probably just something maybe that doesn't get like tweeted or put on Instagram, but obviously many of us care. Like I put sunscreen on every single day. I have sunscreen for my face, more on my face, and then on my arms, my back. So we're putting on you know, the best, um, the best way that we can probably try to prevent some sun damage. And then yes, there's a period of the summer where we're not wearing shirts and we're wearing sports bras, but also seeing a dermatologist yearly and getting moles and different stuff like that checked out. I think it just maybe doesn't get talked in talked about because it's not like a sexy topic like, Hey, I went to the dermatologist today. But, um, yeah, for those that are wondering, 
I take care of myself. I know a lot of my teammates. Kellen always has sunscreen in. She's giving it to people. So it's something we Tyler can Day. Tyler Nobody Day. wears more sunscreen exactly. than Tyler Day. I right? promise you that. Totally. And because some of us have different like skin pigmentation and how they <laughs> Tyler doesn't have a choice. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so we do think about it and especially with my family with the history of cancer, it's it's on my mind. Well that's good. I, I hope whoever wrote that question knows that that, that they actually do care mm -hmm. and, and they do take care of themselves and, and, and uh, obviously so should everyone else. Uh, okay, you. Uh, this is the last one, a little bit of a tough one here. Okay. Uh, you are renowned, I'm just reading it word for word, this is from Twitter, this is not my question. You are renowned as having a constant and vocal anti-doping anti stance, which is to be applauded. Do you think you and others within female distance running are possibly running the risk of being labeled as selective or biased in your outspokenness by remaining quiet um, in regards to Shelby Houlihan? Sure. <laughs> I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think the further I've gotten in my career and I'm in our testing pool and I have a pretty good grasp of clean sport and what it means. And in years past, when something would come out about a positive test from, let's say, other countries versus U.S., it was very easy to assume, oh, an athlete tests positive or something. I trust our uh, system definitely positive and then you're kind of pissed that people stole prize money but maybe i'm not consistently vocal because there have been athletes in the u.s you know that tested positive that i raced against um and then i would be really upset about but maybe didn't either tweet about um so i can see where that consistency doesn't look great regarding the Hulahan case when it first came out i honestly did not know what to think i think what gets tough with athletes in the US, you have a small, we're more close knit, let's say, than some of the athletes like internationally. So we might have better ideas of like, oh, well, my friend is roommates with them. So you have an idea of like, well, she has to not be doing something like that's in the gray area or that would be not in the clean sport. But then the longer I started to look at her case and then my illness went back into my own bias, I came up with the conclusion, you actually have no idea who is clean, who is doing something. Your best friend in the running world who you don't live with could be doing something and you don't know. So it is really tough to be outspoken in a lot of ways. You want to trust the system. So when something comes out, it's really easy to say, yep, like they went through everything they needed to go through. If it came back positive, like I have to trust that. So with Shelby's, that's what I'm going off of, that her test came back positive for Nandrolin, then, then that's something that she did. Um, in the beginning part of it, when there was, um, there was the kind of appeal for her to run the trials, I did tweet out, I do not think that she should be allowed to run the trials as like a, you know, special case or anything. So it, it does get really convoluted and it's hard to stay vocal. Um, and I've, I've definitely had to check myself over the last year and a half when I'm seeing cases come out of international athletes, of U.S. athletes, and figure out why would I believe a U.S. athlete um, versus international. So I really like that question because it does help me like check in with myself. Yeah, no, yeah. we always appreciate being being held accountable, and I think Steph did a great job answering that question. It's probably not fair to me or fair of me to to have her answer that and not give give you a little a little something about what I think. And I would just I would just say that um, you know if you really care and it's something you're passionate about, which it is for Steph, it is for me. Um, you sort of have to hold back your opinions until you've read as much uh, as you possibly can about a certain case right and so in this in this particular case it's 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 reading the report that just came out and and, and um you know forming your opinion based on that report and that's certainly what i've done and and you know i'll just i'll just flat tell you that uh you know i, re I read the report and it certainly seems like she had an androlone in her system it certainly seems like it would it was ingested orally and it certainly seems like it did not come from the burrito beyond that i don't know Beyond that, I don't know. And yeah. so um, I think that's all you can do is is um, is your homework and your due diligence and not jump to conclusions. And I think I think Steph was getting at that, too, that, you know, perhaps, you know, that this is a good opportunity for all of us to say, wait a minute now, <laughs> that's not fair of us 
to just make assumptions, uh, we have to, and certainly share those assumptions publicly mm -hmm. is a mistake, I think, until until we've done our homework and, and, and that opinion is, is an educated one. Absolutely. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think the conundrum that maybe U.S. athletes and myself get in is we're used to competing against the same amount of people. So when something like this happens, like, it throws you because you've believed that, like... And you want to. You do. You want to you believe You believe it. that of these course. times were possible, yeah. and you're like, yeah, I'm training that hard. That's possible. So then when this happens, you think, well, crap, is that possible? And so that's what gets really difficult because we've trained alongside and raced alongside a lot of these U.S. athletes. Um, so it makes it really difficult to just be like, well, great. <laughs> well, you want to believe it, number one, yeah. and then you don't want to fall into the hole or fall down the rabbit hole of constantly thinking everybody that beats you is dirty. Correct. Because that's, first of all, it's not healthy. No, it's also no. not true. No, correct. And it sucks. Yeah. It's not a fun feeling. No. And so you just wish you could wipe it all away and everybody right. could be clean. But of course, it's it's not that way. Right. And so we have to be realistic. But I think something Steph said earlier is the bottom line, which is you have to worry about yourself. Mm -hmm. The only the only clean sport you can really control is yourself. Mm -hmm. All right, on we go. Rapid fire questions, uh, and then we'll get to my one question. Um, so here we go. Rapid fire. We'll, we'll, we'll answer these as quick as you can. Uh, what? It, it, maybe you did your homework before. I don't know. This one actually is kind of tough. Okay. What result slash race are you most proud of and why? Okay. Um, the Olympic trials marathon in Atlanta in 2020. And I'm most proud because I got to the line healthy. It was the hardest training I ever did alongside Alfie and Kellen. And for the first time in my career, I legitimately believed I could make the Olympic team. And I didn't stop believing that until I crossed the finish line. And um, to like be 19 seconds off the team and like to see the team happening in front of me like was devastating. But then I walked away being like, well, that's as good as you were on the day. And so when you can have a day where you're like, I wouldn't have changed anything about how I raced. Those people were just better than me. That sits like really well. Yeah, I think we may even come back to that um, in this last one. Okay, uh, what's your favorite workout? Gosh, that's a, it sounds so mean. I don't really have a favorite workout. That's good. I mean... That means you're not putting too much pressure on no, any one day. Yeah, I don't mean to be mean, but like obviously I like running, but no one like likes to be like, ooh, 15 times a mile today. They're all really hard. They all benefit you. They all have a purpose for wherever you're at in your training cycle, so... How about type of? Yes, a hybrid. Anything that has, like, a three-mile tempo and then maybe, like, 800s and a three-mile tempo. That's what Matt and Nick did today. I know, I kind of knew that. <laughs> or if you're running through a range of paces, like you're yeah. cutting down because then I get to go through different gears and I almost find out more about myself as an athlete on days like that. All right, what's your favorite picky bar? Well, it used to be Cinnamon Rollin'. But I think I had too many of those in the last mm, year. I'm mm, kind of burnt out. Mm. So I'm going to go with um, all in almond right now. Okay. okay. You heard it here. Uh, most overrated part of training? <sighs> wow. Overrated part of training. <laughs> speed work <laughs> and not understanding what true speed work is. Got it. Yep. It's for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Clifton's or Carbon X for a marathon? For a marathon? Yeah. Oh, um, neither. Rocket X? Well, I think they're asking, like what carbon? would you, they're asking for your advice. They're oh. trying to choose between these two. Okay. I would say um, both of, both of them will get you close to where you need to be. It's just a matter, matter of if you've trained in either, like I wouldn't train in the Clifton's and then go run in the Carbon X or race. I would try to wear the shoe throughout your training cycle. But, but, but you could train in the Clifton's every day. You could do some hard workouts in the Carbon Correct. X. Correct. And then be and ready then race to race in the Carbon X. Yeah. I think that's the way to go. I think that would be, I was on a Zoom last night with uh, the great Dave Zimmer okay. uh, of Fleet Feet Chicago and, and their training group. They're awesome people. And this question kind of came up and I said, of course you should get the Carbon X. Yeah. There's no, there's no, like, why wouldn't you get? Yeah. The best shoe out there. Well, <laughs> yeah. a shoe that is meant for racing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no speed. Just because you're a four hour marathoner doesn't preclude you from being able to buy a Correct. shoe that's meant for race day. So Correct. wear the fastest shoe you can. Yeah. Okay. Um, balancing being a mom and a pro runner. 
I don't know. I guess I don't know how to answer that quickly, but uh, maybe yeah. you can maybe you can give it a shot. The, I'm like writing a post on this. Balance is a myth. There is <laughs> there is no balance. I think you just. Um, the way I like to describe it is you show up as different versions of yourself each day. So like some days I'm a better professional runner and, and kind of a crappy mom. And some days I'm a better mom and like professional running is lower on the totem pole. So like after a 22 mile run, I was a pretty worthless mom for a few hours because I was really tired and I was like, let's just play a game and they want to play baseball. So <laughs> I think like giving yourself a little grace and realizing you can't be all the things like every hour of the day and kind of compartmentalizing like what version of you shows up each day. Got it. Uh, sports psychology, something for everyone or a tool for elite athletes? Ooh, well, I'm a psychology major, so I'm partial to that. I just love psychology in general, whether it's sports psychology or not. I think everyone could use a little bit of that in your life. I don't know if that necessarily means talking to a therapist, but finding some outlet where you're like exploring the inner workings of your brain. So maybe that's journaling, maybe that's blogging, maybe that's just finding ways to like, whatever's in your brain, get it out either on paper or talk to someone. Love it. Yeah. How do you train your brain to go far? <laughs> um, but that is an interesting question, right? Yeah. Because you're not only training your body to handle 26 miles if, yeah. if you're a marathoner, yeah. which I assume this question is referring to, mm -hmm. uh, but your mind has to stay very focused for a long period of time, two, three, four hours, depending on uh, how long it takes you to run a marathon. So how do you train your brain to go that far? I mean, I feel like if I could write that down or quantify it, you could put it in a box and sell it to people, but I don't know. It's almost like... It's just like evolved over time because obviously when I was 16, three mile cross country races were really long and I had to do that. And then when I was in college, 10K was the longest, you know, I had to be engaged. So it almost feels like um, I my brain was like naturally selected for it. And maybe this is why some people run and some people don't because either your brain is looking for an outlet or is looking for a few hours to like process things. So my takeaway is don't think you have to like think about the race when you're in it. Like sometimes in a marathon, I'm not thinking what's going to happen mile the next mile. I might be thinking, oh, what gel did I put on my next bottle? Or I wonder where Riley and Hudson are going to be on the course. So I'm thinking like lots of different thoughts and I don't worry that some of them could be like distracting. Um, the distracting thoughts are negative. I feel bad. I don't know if I can keep doing this. So I would caution you to get those negative thoughts, you know, like think about them and then move them out, but then not just don't be afraid if you're kind of like free flowing throughout, mm -hmm. throughout a race. Got it. Yeah. What's the secret to running negative splits? Mm. Uh, Optimistic reality, your favorite <laughs> quote, yeah. meaning know what shape you're in and don't do the whole, well, I've been training at this marathon pace and so I'm probably just gonna go out like 10 to 20 seconds faster per mile and just see what happens. I mean, I don't wanna be like mean, but like dreams do not come true that way. You have to be like super realistic of where you've been training at, what kind of shape you're in approximately and plan your race accordingly. And so the reason you do negative splits is because you were running at an effort that was just below like the shape that were you in for a long time and then you had a lot of energy reserve. Um, or negative splits happens when you weren't worried about the time and you were worried about just racing the people around you or in a pack, um, but you still have to have an idea of what shape you're in and like don't go out over your head. In other words, there is no secret. You have to practice it, and then you have to execute it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Are there any plans for more YouTube series or another YouTube series featuring you and the daily routine of the life of a professional runner? You got you had a series like that a while back, and it was very popular, but I know it's a lot of time and effort. So any plans to do that again? I just talked with Nick Hogger about this today because he was like, yeah, I... I like I give a lot of people your YouTube videos and I love doing it. And I had Steven Kirsch and Ryan Sterner from Rabbit Wolf film them. Sometimes I think I wasn't like cut out for the YouTube, meaning talking and doing video were like not my strong suit. So I've kind of lost a little bit of like what my mission would be for it. So I, I started out thinking I would have these talks by a desk and like answer your questions. Like we're doing right now. Correct. <laughs> 
but you, I have you as like a co-partner, so it's easy. When it was me, I'd be like, what do you guys think? And obviously there's no there's one there. There's nobody there. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you I, feed off others. I do. I do better with an audience and, or if I was talking to someone. So I found myself like not delivering my best version. So I would like to put stuff together, but probably not anywhere in this next year, maybe 2022 and beyond. And finally, in terms of the rapid fire questions, do you have a plan B when running a marathon or do you just adjust on the fly if your goal time slips away? I do not have a plan B. Um, That's right. And exactly. Adjust on the fly means <clears throat> if you're not feeling good, just, <clears throat> I guess my like career mantra is like, get the most out of yourself on the day. And you don't know what that's going to be, but... Maybe it's like letting go of expectations if you thought you were going to feel a certain way and also realize like feelings don't have to dictate outcomes. Meaning I've run plenty of races where I felt like garbage, but I run really well because I know I'm fit. And when you know you have a background of like you did the training, but just you're not feeling on the day, you can still like squeak out a lot from yourself. So I've truthfully maybe one or two times, but rarely ever have a pity party for myself in a race if it's not going how I thought. I just say keep trying to like run the mile you're in, beat as many people as possible, like get the clock. I mean, yeah, just always like get every ounce of yourself um, that you can and don't worry if it wasn't, you know, the dream goal that you wanted because you're probably going to get closer to that dream goal if you never give up on those bad days. All right. Thank you for that stuff. Thank you to your fans for all these wonderful questions. That made for a really cool first 45 minutes or so. And now these last 15 minutes or so, um, I wanted to talk about something I know that you and I have done a couple of times on runs of recent, which is basically this. So, you know, those listening to this podcast probably know this, but you're someone who's worked very hard for a long time now, decade plus, um, on social media. You've been very authentic. You've been very calculated. Um, you give fans an insight into everything you're doing, every aspect of your life. We've talked a lot about that today already, um, and you've created an enormous following doing that. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on what's been a very hot topic lately, which is the pressure, the stress, the anxiety that athletes, particularly in individual sports, I would say, are, are feeling as a result of what they see and hear on social media. You touched on this a little bit in the course of answering all these questions, it's been a hot topic. Uh, Naomi Osaka is talking about taking a break from tennis. We saw Sydney McLaughlin, after winning the trials and setting a world record, break down crying because of what she was reading on social media. We're hearing about this. We saw Novak Djokovic crying in his towel uh, when he was losing the, um, the match the other day at the U.S. Open, going for the Grand Slam. So we know there's a tremendous amount of stress. I think, I think it's very fair to say more than ever. And I, and I do think it's fair to say because of social media. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but I think that's a big driver of this extra stress, this extra anxiety. Though I also think there's an element of, hey, it was always there, but we didn't always see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot, of, a lot of things at play here, but let's just have a conversation about that topic. Yeah. You start. Okay. So it's easy, like when you're naming those athletes, I'm like, yeah, really big time, really big time, really big time, really big time. So sometimes... In those, in those sports and at that level, it's understandable because you do have people like analyzing what they're doing, criticizing what they're doing. Then when I bring it back to like us, I'm like, no one actually, <laughs> at, at a relative level, like no one's telling me how to train. No one's booing me after I'm getting sixth place at the Olympic trials. So the running world in a way is like a very positive, like so to speak, community. And you're always going to have people that think, Oh, because you're an athlete and you're paid to do that, either fans or people who come to pay to watch you get a say in how you're performing. I think that's almost like a natural, like, because being an athlete is an entertainment business, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be more critics like there is in, in any sort of like uh, movie critics, all that kind of stuff where it gets. Uh, muddied a little bit is because there's humans you know as all these athletes are and so there's lots of feelings so it's hard to know if it's the external like pressure that is really coming and that people are seeing on social media or it's 
the athletes putting that unwanted pressure on themselves. And that's what I'm not sure about. Well, I think athletes were always going to put pressure on right. themselves. You, I think that's not new. Of course, of course. My, my uh, premise uh, a second ago was that this is fairly new, mm -hmm. this new pressure of, of social media because, you know, it's basically a decade old, mm -hmm. um, give or take, right? Yeah. And I think there's a couple things happening when when we talk about anxiety related to social media, yes, it is the fans and some comments, mm -hmm. certainly, because I think it's very easy for the outside observer, even myself included, to say, well, just, you sh shouldn't care. Right. Well, what do you mean you sh shouldn't care? When somebody reads a nasty comment about themselves, yeah. it doesn't feel good, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. But I also think, and you touched on it a second ago, I think there's that, you got to remember with social media that it's not just, hey, athletes have to post because they have to keep their fans engaged. Mm -hmm. I actually agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's the fact that when they post, then they scroll. Mm -hmm. So they're not just posting. They're not just sharing. They're not just interacting with their fan base. Mm -hmm. They're also looking at what so-and-so is doing, what so-and-so is doing, what so-and-so is doing. And it's, let's be honest, a skewed version of what so-and-so is doing Correct. because it's all positive. Correct. And you start, it starts to mess with your mind thinking that, man, these guys must be doing something that we're not doing. Oh, this person seems so happy. I don't feel like that. Right. And all of a sudden there's this snowball of anxiety um, because it seems like everybody else is hunky-dory. Yeah. They're not, yeah. but it seems like they are. Am I on the right path there? No, you are, but I also would say that's a choice, Me, right? It, it is, but but mm -hmm. the younger generation stuff, yeah. this is all they know. Yeah, for You sure. know, this is how they grew up. Like, yeah. they didn't... It is a choice, yeah. but it almost feels like it's not for them. Yeah. Because they, they've grown up scrolling. Yeah. But I guess like I, you know, being a parent now and thinking, oh, my kids are coming into that world. Like we have conversations in our house about things like tell us about things that happen at school and they'll tell us, let's say a kid did something and I'm like, does that seem cool to you or not? Yeah. And it's like if a kid's being a bully and they can be like, that's yeah. not cool. So for me, I guess it always is like, yeah, mental health. Can we start in the home? Like, are we doing a good job of like how we're portraying things to our children and telling them, hey, you're gonna be on social media, you're gonna see these things, but let's have a conversation about what's real and possibly what's not real. And it's easy to portray like, my life is so awesome. Whereas I guess my whole like shtick for years has always been be really authentic. So then you have a choice of who you follow. That's what I always tell Correct. people. Are, is your feed making you feel better or worse? If it's making you feel worse, hey, click that unfollow or whoever mm -hmm. is like bringing you down because those people, I know, I think what's the worst, I know people who don't post yet they talk about social media so you know they're on all the That's time. Right. That to me is like, well, you gotta, it's like quit, I say quit hating on people and start creating, like doing something for yourself, right? Yes. And doing more of like, what do I have going on? Um, and I think that like, it's easy for people to criticize or to keep scrolling. Um, but I love Brene Brown. You know, she has that man in the arena, Teddy Roosevelt. And it's like, if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your opinion. Yeah. And I think everyone could look at that and realize like, you don't have to be on it. But then if you're going to be on it, it's hard to say, well, that's making you feel worse. So you're saying like, should we take away phones or should we take away these apps? No, I think it's more talking about, hey, follow the people that are making you feel positive or they're making you want to do things that. But, but, but like yeah. we're saying, that's an interesting bit of introspection that has to go on. Correct. Because. It, it might be kind of a weird thing, mm -hmm. but you might actually have to unfollow people that are really cool. Oh, yeah. Because Absolutely. they're making you feel not cool. Absolutely. Because you're feeling bad about yourself because you're not them. Correct. And that's a hard thing to do, but you might have to do that. You do. Right? No, absolutely. Or you might have to say, hey, why don't I just not go on uh -huh. for a week? Yep. And see how I Nobody's feel. Nobody's going to care. No. Nobody's, even Steph. Correct. If you didn't go on for a week. No. God bless you. Nobody's going to care. Correct. You know, and realizing and that that's it's, important. It's okay. Right. Exactly. And, and how did you feel that week? Yes. Let's say you didn't go on Twitter, or, literally deleted the apps yeah. for a week. See how you feel. Correct. See what and it I forced know people to do. that do that. And yeah. I think it could be cool. Yeah. I think it could be cool. Um, I've done that before yeah. and here's how I know I like it. I miss it because yeah. I miss interaction. Yeah. So that's how I know I have a healthy sense because yeah. 
my mission is like if someone if one person is reading something that I wrote and they're like feel good about myself then my job is done yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter if I have 90,000 whatever followers yeah. if one person is like yep then I'm like well, that's all that matters, yeah. right? You know, I did think about, you were talking about some of these people that I mentioned are at such a high level. Yeah. I actually thought to myself, if I was, and I hate to say this because I don't want to sound like a nodal, mm -hmm. I, I, but I don't know how else to do it. Yeah. If I was in Naomi Osaka's camp, mm -hmm. let's say, I would really say, you know what? This is so unnecessary for you. Yeah. Just hire somebody. For sure. Just hire somebody. Correct. And I'm not, I don't mean to make it sound easy because no. again, she grew up watching it. So Correct. it's looking at it, it's part of her life. Correct. But I just wonder, I guess I'm speculating. Definitely. Could that be some, yes. could that be an answer uh -huh. for the highest of high level Simon athletes? Simone Biles. Simone yeah. Biles. Yeah, Simone I, I Biles. forgot to mention her. Yeah. And of course, she's she's a, a major um, catalyst for this entire conversation. Correct. And rightly so. Uh, she's done an amazing job of sharing. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah. Simone Biles is an amazing human being, an incredible human being. And it was so sad yeah. to find out that the stress and anxiety really from the outside right. caused her to have this experience that was less than, um, less than fun at yeah. the very least, For sure. uh, but certainly a lot less than she was capable of at yeah. the Olympics because of that stress and anxiety. That sucks. And then it's hard to be away. Well, then it's hard to know, was that all social for her? Because then you start to look at the sports that they're in yeah. and like, right? Yeah. And what's being developed there. Sure. And are people like professional athletes, it's a great job that we do. But if it is ever like, I'm so stressed to even race, that's we're right. probably not doing it right. That's Something right. that we're doing in our path is not right. That's right. right? Um, because it is a choice to be a professional athlete. And we're lucky that sponsors think we're <laughs> worthy enough to pay us, you know? Yeah. So. Well, here's an interesting one. So, and you and I have talked about this because I think it's very related. The other thing that I, ha I think happens and why you see some of these, um, you know, for lack of a better term, um, I don't want to say breakdown because there's a psychological um, yeah, definition like, um, there. I would say I would say low moments uh -huh, uh, mm -hmm. that are that are mental that are, hole. Yeah, just yeah. that are, that are captured on film, uh -huh. if you will, at the biggest stages. Yeah. Simone Biles being an example, of course. Naomi Osaka being an example, of course. Um, the the thing that's interesting about those is I do feel like there's also this piece that we as athletes we think. I want to win the gold medal. I want to win the gold medal. I want to go. I want to win a world marathon major. I want to make the Olympic team. I want to run under this time in the marathon. And I'm telling you, this relates to everybody. This yeah. is not just high level people. Right. And you you achieve that goal. Uh oh, life doesn't change. No. And I think there's this thought that when I do this, everything will be different. It's like winning the lottery. Yeah. Oh, when I win the lottery, everything's going to be different. And it's not different. No. And in fact, sometimes people crash. Correct. And what are your thoughts on that? Am I on to something? Well, there? yeah. I mean. Financially, that's the whole, like, money doesn't buy happiness, but it's true. Um, and I can speak to this in a very real way. Like, I had the best news of my life in early May when we sold piggy bars. And it was like, wow. Best like, financial news. Best financial news, correct. Yeah, and it was just like everything that, like, or even just self, like, our sense of self, like, what we worked at and all that stuff, like, it paid off. And then literally four weeks later, my mom died. And I'm like, okay, I would give back the company selling if my mom didn't die, yeah. you know, because yeah. it realized that meant nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, in a way, I think that like thinking something will change in your life is going back to that introspective, like you have to find out what is making you internally. Click. Why are you doing this? Exactly. Why are you doing this? And if it feels like I'm waiting for something to change or make me happier, you should probably do something else. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Those are hard questions to ask of yourself. Yeah. But I think they're very important. And, and I think as it relates to the age group athlete, it, it's what I've said so many times at so many different conferences and clinics and Zoom calls and, and, and whatnot. Don't set your time goal 12 weeks out, 16 right. weeks out, two years out. Yeah. Build the fitness, enjoy that process, and then set the goal the week of yeah. based on the fitness. Way more realistic way to do it. Yeah. Um, sets you up for success. Yeah. And is healthier mentally. Yeah. And the two things like that, the anxiety that sometimes people have on race there before, it's like, hey, remember, no one's making you do this. Like you're yeah. choosing to do this. So that should be yeah. like the fun part. And then that the dangerous, the danger of 
attaching your self-worth to your time or your place and that's something where that's why i think i've been able to do this like running i say is my life and it's what i eat sleep and breathe but it is not my life and it is not what like defines me and so it's the least interesting thing about me as a person and i think that definitely is something that you have to cultivate over time but if there's young kids listening to us and looking at professional athletes like i want them to know that like yeah your time and your place is not who you are and makes you better than someone else and so having that like humbleness and just real humility and realizing you don't have to yeah be defined by those it comes back to the high school question right <laughs> what, what would we tell those high school girls or high mm-hmm. school boys i don't know what the question uh, you know i don't know who the coach was or, or who they work with but uh i think we would just tell them to enjoy it mm-hmm. right yeah just enjoy it that's the best part so thank you steph this was killer uh hope you guys enjoyed the episode we will be back very soon with another hoka naz elite athlete uh, we will try to get to as many athletes as we can this fall we've already had alex Masai and stuff and we're just going to go down the line and and give you guys some cool conversations we hope thanks stuff all right thank you see ya thanks for listening to the midday treat with naz elite i'm addison rosario coach ben's daughter if you're watching on youtube hit the like button and subscribe to our channel if you're listening on apple podcasts please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NAZ underscore Elite. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter on NAZElite.com and stay tuned for the next episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite.